Hello and welcome to the Convivio Agency Leaders podcast. I'm Steve Parks. I'm joined by Joe Baker. And each episode, every two weeks, we're joined by a guest who is an agency leader to find out about their leadership journey, what they're learning, uh, and what their advice is for others on getting that time to lead, that time to run their business. Uh, Our guest this week uh, runs a digital agency in Texas, USA. He is Todd Ninkirk from Four Kitchens. Todd, uh, welcome to the podcast. First of all, you began your agency with a number of co-founders. Tell us about that and that dynamic. Sure. Um, So I started Four Kitchens with three of my friends from college back when we were in our early 20s. Uh, we all met at the University of Texas at Austin. We we wrote for the College Humor publication. So if if that's not a genre that you're familiar with, uh, think of the National Lampoon franchise and walk backwards to the Harvard Lampoon. And there's a whole community of colleges and humor publications and things like that, um, probably everywhere, but certainly within the United States. Uh, so we got to know one each other there. Uh, we really enjoyed working together in a creative uh deadline-driven capacity. We we each did it between three and five years, depending on how long we were there. And as we were starting to graduate in in a uh, sort of stair-step fashion, one year after another, uh, we realized that, you know, the working world uh, has some drawbacks and isn't as exciting, really, as some of the things that we were doing in school. And so we got together and decided, hey, we're all broke. Uh, why not start a company? And <laughs> That's what we did. We started as a publishing company originally. We wanted to publish an alt weekly uh, in Austin, Texas, to compete with the established alt weekly called the Austin Chronicle. Uh, we didn't quite know this at the time, but we sh- we learned quickly thereafter that the Austin Chronicle also owns and operates the South by Southwest Festival, so they have very deep pockets and are very well established. Um, it was a really fun journey for the two or so years that that we published this alt weekly uh, in Austin, but ultimately um, that really wasn't the business model that was working for us. But strangely, in that two-year period, uh, we had to build a, a website for our publication because we had to do it ourselves, so we had to learn how to do that. And we got some attention for that. We we built it using Drupal, which is an open source uh, content management system. And that was, it just happened to be a very opportune time to get deeply involved in that community because that that piece of software was becoming increasingly popular, particularly within media and publishing. And so we started getting phone calls from other publishers and media companies saying, hey, I saw that you built this really good looking site. We need help with our Drupal site. Can you help us? And that's how we came into web design and development through the side door in a way. So within two, three years, we were working with uh, the likes of Time Inc., Meredith, which is the largest magazine publisher in the U.S., uh, they bought Time Inc. a few years ago. We've worked with The Economist. Uh, so some of my earliest memories in the web design and development world was um, uh, include traveling to London and uh, working out of the London Economist offices for a while uh, and actually getting to sit down with the editor of The Economist at the time and scratching out like uh, homepage wireframes and, and mock-ups. Uh, who would have thought that, you know, this guy from Austin, Texas <laughs> would help the economists design their homepage. Uh, but Fantastic. the timing and, was ripe and that's what happened. 
And so I'm really interested in this dynamic. You know, it's it's a quite a common story of agencies. A group of friends get together. They find they're good at something. They find other people want this thing that they're good at. But when there's four of you, how did you structure the leadership? Who was, how did you decide who would be in charge or did you try and run it collectively? Um, how did that dynamic work? Oh, how did it work? Maybe not so well at first. Uh, we we did try to run it collectively. And while each of us had leadership experience in, in some fashion, having run this publication uh, at the University of Texas, we didn't have a lot of professional leadership uh, experience. Well, none at all. And in the beginning, our our attitude, I suppose, uh, our, our leadership attitude and the way we were structuring the company was very like anti-establishment, anti-corporate. If anything had even a whiff of traditional corporate structure, we immediately wrote it off uh, and thought like, oh, we don't want to, we want to be the opposite of all of that. We want to do completely different things. We want to run this company in a completely different way. And what we learned over the years is that, well, things operate that way because they're actually really efficient. And who are we to try and completely rewrite the way that, that any business should be run? So it was a very slow multi-year realization that, oh, there are these practices and ideas out there that for a young 20-something person might feel like really corporate uh, are actually good ideas like leadership meetings and getting together to talk about long-term strategy and, and stuff like that. Uh, so we, we very quickly learned that all of those things are good ideas. But along the way, um, uh, each of us wound up taking our own paths. So at the moment, I'm the last remaining uh, founding partner and sole owner of Four Kitchens. So over the past uh, 15 and a half years that we've been in business, um, my business partners have each gone off and done their own thing. So um, the first was my wife, Kristen Hillary, who uh, left to uh, continue work in marketing. So she now runs um, her own marketing practice, content marketing. And in the middle, she was a uh, she went to culinary school for a while and she was a chef and did a whole bunch of interesting things. Uh, my second partner, David Strauss, he left to create a hosting company called Pantheon. And my third partner, Aaron Stanish, uh, he left in the midst of the pandemic last year, um, just personal reasons. And he is now pursuing uh, some work in design systems and design system management. Mm -hmm. So how we worked in the early days, we were making it up as we went. We had no agency experience. We had very little professional work experience and all of it was learned through, uh, well, massive mistakes and, and learning from them one at a time. And your story of kind of the founders getting together, doing something and then moving off in different directions, that that's effectively normality, isn't it? You know, this is these are not marriages. Uh, these are working relationships and, mm -hmm. you know, it's expected, but it still seems to take people by surprise and become a very stressful time. How did that work in your case? I mean, we've heard from other founders that uh, have similar scenarios and it either triggers the business being having to be exited altogether in order to buy people out or it creates a big argument or whatever. Did you manage to negotiate it diplomatically and in a way that you know ensured the the prosperity of the business the short answer is yes uh but to expand on that a little bit more uh I, we were very lucky in that being friends especially at a very young age and at a very formative time and then discovering how to do this as we went um 
there's we gave each other a lot of flexibility so with that um came a sense of uh just wanting to do what's right for the business and once somebody realized this isn't the right fit for me it's time for me to go thankfully we've all had the attitude that we want to see this business continue to thrive and so we're not going to try to um, hold it hostage or or create unreasonable demands around that departure so each time somebody has left um, we've come to terms pretty quickly about what the financial aspect of that looks like and uh, how certain responsibilities change hands and all of that i think we've been very lucky um, and it's also, I think, a testament to the fact that that we still are friends and wanted to remain friends after all of this. And I think that that allowed us to approach these situations in ways that that weren't, um, I don't know what the right word is, but uh, uh, that, that were friendly and and really focused on ensuring that this business outlasts each of us rather than trying to draw from it the the most that we could trying to extract from it what we could as we left fantastic to hear that really mature attitude and being able to hold your friendship and professionalism together you know mm -hmm. uh, you know working both out that's fantastic so then that meant that kind of you are now the sole owner you are uh, the ceo the kind of sole person in charge how have you had to grow your leadership and mature the way you run the business well, I learned a really hard lesson many years ago. Um, this is back when it was uh, me and Aaron. So there were two owners uh, at this point, maybe six or so years ago. Um, we got in the habit at that time of thinking, of, of constantly thinking about scaling and growing. So all the plans that we made and the advice that we listened to and also the advice we rejected uh, was all really centered on how do we scale the business and grow it? So how do we set up a structure that can accommodate growth when it lands? And part of that was realizing this whole like flat business thing where like everybody's kind of equal and we're all hanging out and doing good work and whatever, that doesn't scale at all. And there's also, uh, there's this great essay called The Tyranny of Structurelessness. Um, I don't know if, if you've heard of it or read about it, but it's a, um, it's an essay written uh, about and within the feminist movement in the United States in the 1970s. And it basically, I'm, I'm going to probably botch the, the, uh, the paraphrasing of it, but for the purposes of this conversation, um, this author writes about how in a so-called flat or structurelessness or structureless organization, there will arise a inner cadre or inner circle of people who simply can spend more time with each other doing stuff and can devote more of their energies than other people. So in the feminist movement, there are people who are going to school or who are mothers who have jobs or whatever. And so they can't be around 24 seven working on this movement, but there were some who could. And those people wound up kind of sticking together and forming an unnamed and unrecognized leadership structure within that organization that then denied that there was such a structure in place because after all, everybody agreed, nobody has titles, nobody has roles, we're all here doing equal work, but everybody outside of that circle realized that's nonsense, you are clearly running this organization. So we, I think I read that essay around that time and I realized, well, as owners, we should be taking on some kind of leadership role and in order to anticipate growth in the future, we should build a leadership structure 
And so more or less overnight, I decided we're going to have a director of technology and a director of project management and a creative director and a director of operations. And we're going to pull all of these people out of their various areas, give them leadership titles and roles and responsibilities and start this whole thing on Monday. Uh, and because none of us, including these new leaders, had a lot of leadership experience, we probably spent the first year fighting about who was in charge of what. And ultimately, uh, we realized that there are some people who were in those positions that maybe shouldn't have been there uh, all along. Um, there were certain roles and responsibilities that we didn't clearly define. And as a result, it took many years to untie all of these knots that we had put in place all at once. And if I could go back and do it again, I would have identified the areas of the business that were most in need of leadership and elevated people to a leadership role one at a time over the course of several years and not all at once starting the next week. Yeah, so you went the full-on pain route. Yes. Um, <laughs> but there is, I think agencies have that feeling that everything's got to be done quickly and urgently and we've all got to get this done tomorrow. Mm -hmm. uh, but actually that's often false. It's a false sense of urgency and emergency. In reality, all of these changes and improvements can be done slowly and steadily. Uh, and the tortoise often wins over the hare um, uh, eventually, because you avoid a lot of pain along the way and a lot of disruption to the agency. Mm -hmm. um, now, um, you've uh, grown the agency over those years. One of the other changes you've made is you started the business in the four kitchens of the four founders and now effectively you've gone back to the kitchens um you know having had some fancy offices in the meantime what's that transition been like as well so uh i, I you're talking about like remote versus in person yeah. and all of that uh yeah so we had offices in austin for uh many years for the first i don't know nine ten years that that we were in business um we were primarily a, uh, a development and, and implementer agency for most of that time. It's, it's been relatively recent that we've added design and UX and strategy and analytics and all of these things, content strategy. Um, so the offices that we had were, were not like, they never really met my expectations for what I wanted the future state of the agency to be. Like they, they were great, they were fine, people liked them. But I really wanted something, you know, really flashy and nice that evoked um, the feelings that you get when you go to a big agency and they have like the cool conference room with all the windows and the expensive chairs. And like I there was a part of me that really coveted that and, and wanted to to project that image into the world. But what we found uh, was around that nine, 10 year mark in business, we were having a lot of difficulty recruiting in the Austin area. And that's because while startups have existed in Austin forever, the VC money was really rolling in around, what would that be, 2015, 2014, 2015. And so the pay scales that people were reaching within Austin were way outside what we could afford. And Austin was quickly becoming a, a more expensive city to, to live and work in. So also along the way, uh, because we work so much with these open source content management systems like Drupal and WordPress, that's a fairly specialized skill. And we met all kinds of people who wanted to work at Four Kitchens, but didn't want to move to Austin. So we get pretty far along the, you know, interview path and, 
and really kind of fall in love with some people. And then they'd say, yeah, I can't uproot my whole family and all of this and, and move to, to Texas. I'm going to stay here and wherever they are, right? Michigan, Kansas, New York. So we realized we're going to have to come up with some kind of a hybrid model. And we attempted that at first, like hiring some remote people. And we did the absolute hardest and maybe stupidest thing we could do, which is hire somebody from Australia. Because why not? Going to extremes again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maximum punishment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you may as well be on the moon. So uh, in terms of like time zones and all of this stuff, it just it obviously it was destined to fail. So we took that kind of personally and we thought, oh, we're no good at this. We're really bad at remote work. And, and we kind of, you know, tucked our tails and ran and hid for a while and then eventually realized we need to try that again, but do it the right way. So I talked with a lot of other agencies that were running hybrid models, asked them what that process was like, what are some things that they've learned, um, did a lot of research and really relied on the goodwill of a lot of friends that I had made over the years to kind of tell me how I'm supposed to do this. Um, and so we did it right this second time. And we started building a hybrid team. First person we hired was out of San Diego. And then we started hiring people from all over the place, Minneapolis and elsewhere. Uh, and eventually we realized that people, we were getting so good at remote work that people were starting to just work from home. Cause so what, you know, you don't, if you live in Austin, you don't have to come into the office. Other people aren't coming into the office. And we got really good at remote work. So good that people stopped coming into the office entirely and there were one or two people that really couldn't work from home for whatever reason, and they needed to be in the office, and they were the ones that felt isolated and lonely. So we implemented, believe it or not, a like come to the office Tuesday. Everybody needs to come to the office on Tuesdays, which is usually the opposite of what other agencies do, where they say, oh, you can work from home on Friday. Well, we tried that for a while, and uh, ultimately, you know, you see where this is headed. Our uh, lease was up on our office and it was pretty heavy expense. Uh, and we realized like everybody's working from home. Let's just make this permanent. So around, uh, what was that, 2015, 2016 or so, uh, we permanently closed our physical offices and we've been uh, fully distributed ever since. And it's been fantastic. Uh, and fairly recently, uh, about three months ago, we merged with another agency uh, with a presence in Canada. So we're now starting to expand uh, internationally as well in terms of the, the web chefs on our team. Um, this, the first question that I usually get about like remote work and all of that is, um, well, how do you deal with, uh, like where are your clients, right? Oddly, we've had very few clients in Texas. So even though our home base has been Austin, Texas, uh, we've had, I could probably count on one hand the number of clients we've had in, in Texas, let alone Austin most of our clients are on the coasts anyway. So we've been working remotely with our clients for our entire history. Uh, so this, this wasn't like a huge culture shock to us. It was just extending the kind of remote literacy that we already had with our clients to our team. Okay. So wrapping up then, any tips for other agencies who they've had this kind of enforced work from home during the pandemic, but are now thinking about how do we get back to normal? What does normal look like? And are considering fully back to the office, a hybrid approach or fully remote. What sort of tips mm. have you got for other leaders? I'd be talking out of turn if I tried to give them any advice that involved going back to an office. Um, I don't know how they're going to do that. And I genuinely, I, I don't say this sarcastically, I genuinely wish them luck. I think that that's going to be hard. Uh, but for companies that have decided to take the leap and become fully distributed permanently, the best piece of advice I can give is uh, 
they have to think remote first. So in the same way that you know, us in the web design world, we have this idea of mobile first web design, you have to have remote first office culture. So that means your conference room, if you're trying to do like a hybrid thing, stop using it. You cannot have five, six, seven people sitting in a conference room with a camera up in the corner like CCTV pointed down on the table and have seven other people calling in with you know their big faces on a, on a Zoom rectangle. It should be one face, one Zoom. Everybody sits at their desk, dials in uh, through video, one person at a time, like one face, one screen is the rule that we have. So thinking remote first, treating the remote experience as the primary experience, and then everything else is sort of a, like an add-on rather than, well, if you're not in the office, you're somehow secondary or less than, that's the, the best piece of advice I could give. Okay, well, Todd, thank you very much for joining us on the Convivio Agency Leaders podcast. Uh, well, listening to all of that was my colleague, Dr. Joe Baker. Uh, Joe, there was a huge amount to cover in there. What particularly stood out for you? Well, the first thing that stood out to me was what a lovely chap. I really <laughs> yes. enjoyed chatting with Todd. Really, really enjoyed. And I, I was really struck by how thoughtful he was um, at all the stages of the growth of the business, but also in reflection on it. Um, the story uh, of its setup is a really interesting one. I resonated quite a lot with that, with um, uh, people who, who knew each other in student days, um, uh, friendship growing, and and the kind of the student mindset as well, I suppose, or the student um, uh, idealism um, being so central to how they set themselves up. They chose values and a kind of a practice which matched that original idealism and you know I, I think that's very common it's, it's quite often people will will feel that uh, instinct or that that pull as they start their their business um, that friendship is is intrinsic uh, to feeling a connection enough to go into business together um, but friendship of course um, often can cause problems uh, with with how people do it they were all shaped by a similar um, idealism or ideology in, in how they did it but I really like the way that that evolved over time yeah and that evolution is quite interesting because they started off with this idea of being a collective you know everybody equal there's no management none of the corporate bullshit uh, as they'd say uh, but over time realizing that actually a lot of that has a purpose and so that's when they began actually putting in place so I think the phrase he used was owners should have a leadership role and owners should put in place a leadership structure and I think that is a key message and obviously something that we talk about a lot with with agencies that there's this um, this wish to kind of wing it and just play it by ear and whatever but really you know that is not scalable and if you want to grow at any level or create a, a lasting sustainable business then you need to take a proper ownership role and you need to set up a proper leadership structure and then everything else your agency does becomes a little bit easier so it was very interesting hearing him talk about exactly that experience Exactly. And that's, I think, when Todd referred in particular to the essay, The Tyranny of Structurelessness, mm, yeah. um, that came out of the feminist movement of the 60s and 70s in the States. Uh, I think it was published in the early 70s, the, the essay, but still remains very influential, clearly, if it's, if it's uh, people, people like Todd and, and Four Kitchens, and I'm sure many others are still referring to it, still learning from it. Um, and the, the practical learning of the feminist movement then in the, in the 60s and 70s 
uh, again, with ideal idealism driving so much of what they did, realizing that in order to um, achieve certain aims for the for the feminist movement, of course, those those are very particular ones. For a business, they're very different ones. That structurelessness, uh, whilst it seemed attractive, can be incredibly problematic. Um, and the essay uh, and Todd's reflection on it is that it can subvert itself by creating a structure without anyone ever verbalizing what's going on and that structuralist structure uh, can be really really problematic. There are other feminists of course who reflect on the opposite end of the spectrum that there is a rigidity that comes from structures and both of those are tyrannical um, in, uh, as far as the fe feminist movement are concerned. Um, it, business has a different um, orientation, a different focus and it needs to bear in mind that, that some um, structures are really vital in order for um, uh, an organisation, a group of people to achieve certain aims, especially what, what an agency is all about. Um, those, those structures um, can be well thought about, deeply, deeply thought about um, to prevent them from becoming tyrannical and hierarchical or control structures, I suppose, is maybe the language we might want to use, that are more about recognising the vital roles that must be fulfilled in in an organization and structure that's about supporting roles uh for people to achieve things um is much more liberating uh than than control structures yeah it reminds me a lot of what paul bellows talked about in episode two of this season of the podcast where he talked about that thing of at first they were just a group of people working together then it kind of got past 10 12-ish people and he realized he was a leader of this group of people then it got past about 30 and he suddenly realized he was a leader of the leaders of this group of people um, and it's those inflection points as he called them and it sounds like todd and his uh, friends went through a very similar journey here where they start off as just a group then someone has to become leader or some people become leader and then you need the actual structures and so on to follow from that so it's a i guess it's the timeless agency story yes absolutely yeah yeah and really interesting actually um reflecting on the way that todd talked about it and the way he talked about the um dynamic between the four um original founders was that they understood that the thing they needed to focus on was what's good for the business i've been reading um the story of pixar uh, which will come out in a in a, um, a review on uh, agency radar fairly soon. Um, but it's really interesting that in in Pixar they have a similar sensibility that in order to achieve the the outcome, a brilliant film, the focus of of the the you know, the many years it takes to make a, a computer animated film, uh, any film, but especially a computer animated one, the many years it takes. Uh, involves um, changes, involves ebbs and flows, involves reflection on what you're doing, criticism being uh, offered, taken on board to make sure the story improves. And the, the story they talk about in Pixar is always the focus is on the film. It's for the good of the film. Similarly here uh, in Four Kittens, what Todd is talking about or talked about in their story is that they realized all the way or they made sure the focus all the way along was what's good for the business what's the right thing for the business uh, and they were able to overcome um i suppose um anyone trying seeking to pinch ownership of of or control over the organization or to try to um to extract from it as much money as they possibly could or whatever other aims there might be uh, and because their focus was on the 
the good of the business. It seems to me, anyway, hearing Todd's story, that that's one of the reasons why Four Kitchens has managed to survive so healthily through the, the stages that he talked about, the exit of yeah. three of the founders and and to where it is now. Yeah, I mean, to, to negotiate peacefully and successfully and amicably the exit of three founders at three different times is a massive achievement. You know, normally there's either arguments or fallouts or there is some hefty sum of money that really um, is a burden on the business. You know, they, a business has to raise debt or it has to sell itself. Um, and to achieve that and keep the business independent was fantastic. So all credit to them as grown-ups and clearly very good friends for achieving that, uh, that mission. Um, so one of the next things that um, they did then is when they were putting in place that leadership structure, um, they, they acted quite quickly once they realised there was a need to put in place uh, this leadership. Um, and he said something about, you know, we worked together on it on the Friday and we said it's going to happen from Monday. And suddenly yeah. everyone had new roles and there was a structure and everybody had to get used to it. And he said they lost a year or more of just kind of arguments about turf and whatever else. So um, uh, I thought that was very interesting, and but also very typical in agencies. It is a thing we seem to have as leaders of agencies where we have this bias to urgency that everything is a crisis. It's now, 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 and never a strategic. Let's look ahead and think of where we want to get to and what the steps are to get to that. So I was quite struck by, by that urgency and he realizes that now in retrospect himself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As, as Todd was talking, and even as, as you've been just talking, Steve, I've been thinking, um, I wonder whether it's a particular characteristic or trait of leaders who like to read and be motivated by their reading and then you know, reading business books reading articles as, as Todd's clearly done with this tyranny of structurelessness um, essay and other places as well reading all that sort of stuff and being motivated or being inspired by that and then working out how to put it in practice that there is a sense of you know having seen the great vision of what could be done what should be done to think, well, let's just get there. Let's get there as quick as we possibly can without trying to realise that there is a journey in between and the, the many steps in that journey need to be um, planned for, um, stages along the way at which you need to take rest and recover before carrying on uh, you know, the full to, to the final destination. Um, you know, Todd's um, origin story or, or the, the four founders is one based in that kind of um, being inspired by an, by an idealism. Yeah, so I, I wonder whether that's a, a particular particular trait. Yeah, and, and I think also, not just that, I think it's agency owners in particular, perhaps. It's something that you hear a lot, and I think it's the nature of agencies, because to run an agency, you've got to be one of those people who is able to be constantly responding to clients' mm. needs and a changing market and, um, you know, massive surprises uh, coming up on the horizon. And so the flip side of being able to do that is perhaps seeking it out and creating it. Um, mm. And so it's perhaps the, the darker side of the, the good bit um, mm. that we may have to figure out how we manage as agency leaders, because there's mm. this tendency, you know, you said, you know, they figure out where they want to go and then they just go there. Um, but effectively, what they're doing is they're saying, OK, we're at A and we want to go to Z, so let's just go to Z. And then they have to go back and do B, C, D, E, F, G, rather yeah. than going through those from A. Um, but they go back and have to do it with a lot more pain. The thi these things still have to be 
be done. They can just be done first or they can be done later with pain. <laughs> and for some reason, agency leaders, we choose the pain route um, again and again. So I think if anything comes out of this podcast, you know, to inspire people, I think it could be that idea of just take your foot off the gas pedal a little bit, stop, think, reflect, plan out steps, think more strategically. Not everything has to be done at 120 miles an hour. There are, mm. you know, <laughs> times when you can, and things that need to be thought out more carefully and taken in steps, bite-sized chunks. Absolutely. And it's one of the reasons I think why this podcast uh, is so helpful, so important, is because you can absolutely learn those through your own experience and they're incredibly painful. You can also learn them by listening to other people's stories. And that's a really important thing to do is to to hear what other people have done, the triumphs they've had, but also the struggles and the pain points they've experienced and and also learn from that. It's you know it's maybe a um a vital thing to to do to but to have that kind of listening ear to to hear what's going on, hear hear other people's experience and and say, mm, I like that, I'll I'll copy that, but that one maybe yeah. I'll give that one a miss. Yeah, absolutely. And for people listening to this, if you're listening to this and thinking, well, actually, there are things I've learned, we'd love to hear what those are. Uh, you can tweet us at Convivio is our Twitter handle at C-O-N-V-I-V-I-O, Convivio. Um, or email us, hello at convivio.com is the email address. Um, we'd love to hear from you about which agency leaders you really connected with, what you learned from them uh, over this podcast series. Now, Joe, one of the other things that we talked to him a little bit about was this idea of um, the place, the office, the, the space. Um, and, you know, not just place as in terms of the office, but a place as in being located in one area, one city, one region. Um, and what the outlook for that is sort of as the world starts to recover through this long tail of post-COVID. Um, and I thought it was really interesting there, some of the things that he said about their journey through uh, being fully office-based to being kind of office-based with remote allowed, <laughs> to being a hybrid, to realising the people in the office were feeling left out, to going fully remote um, and the changes in that. But also him saying, I don't see how people could just go back fully to the office. I don't see how that can work. So there's some level of hybrid or remote needed. Yes, certainly, certainly so. I mean, nothing is going to ever be the same again, isn't it? Um, it's one of the things we talked about in the Agency Radar report, uh, that we're renegotiating normality um, after the, the COVID pandemic now. Um, and yeah, absolutely, there, there is no going back. We have to accept that the workplace has changed. It was changing anyway, but the pandemic has accelerated those changes. Um, and we have to learn quickly what those things are that we need to keep hold of as we, you know, as, as offices are able to be open again uh, and people choose to be to be co-located again and many choose to work from home and working from home or, or other locations, um, mm -hmm. you know, continues to be a major, major figment in life. So there's lots of things to learn from how Fort Kittens have done it that they chose to do it before the, um, the pandemic, uh, several years before it, and we're able to bed in those, uh, those traits and skills and, and habits and behaviours. Um, yeah, it's really vital, absolutely. Yeah. But then do you think a business loses something by not being connected to a place somehow, uh, some kind of roots? Hmm, that's a really interesting point. There's no doubt, is, is there, that being face-to-face -face 
is vital. It, it's you converse differently face to face when you can see below the chest line uh, that the video. I say. <laughs> Um, you know, you, you see all the, the, the body um, gestures, uh, body language, and um, conversations don't have to have a start time and an end time like you have on an appointment for a video call. Um, uh, there's, there's no doubt that being in the same place at the same time is, is really important. Um, and sometimes being located in a particular area, being known to be in a, in a particular area, is really important. Um, yeah, I mean, so Todd, for example, having four kitchens based in Austin, Texas, Austin has a has a global reputation, even though it's maybe not the biggest city in the world, partly because of the South by Southwest festival, but not just because of that. Um, South by Southwest you know, turned up there because there was stuff going on already. It made sense to have it there because it's a city with a particular sensibility. And yet, as Todd says, uh, or said in his in his um, his time, that uh, they actually have done relatively little business in Texas, uh, let alone in Austin, and so being an Austin-based business, you know, isn't isn't everything. Um, and the pandemic and and you know working remotely has has meant that they've been able to connect with staff working in the east coast and the west coast and even in australia slash the moon which i'm sure australian <laughs> listeners to the podcast will be really happy to hear <laughs> yeah. well when they email to complain about it we'll be asleep joe so it'll be fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a it's um i yeah i i wonder whether there's a lot of it which is uh, a, a lot of that dynamic about being co-located is to partly to do with um personality type whether you're naturally introverted or naturally extroverted, I, I wonder whether people who are more towards the ext extrovert end of um, personalities need to be in person much more. Um, but also, you know, home life or, or the, the, the physicality of the home space may not be the best, condu most conducive work environment for some. Yeah, I certainly know a lot of agency leaders are very much the extrovert personality type, and they are just desperate to get everybody back in the same room all the time. Um, partly, you know, that's through the extroversion. They want to talk to people. They want to listen to people. They want to be close to them. They get their energy from that. But there is an element of almost mistrust. It's if they, I can't see what they're doing, I don't know what they're doing. And I think that bit has to be dealt with. That's not a valid reason for having people in the same place. The first bit, if you feed off each other's energy and you create good stuff from it, that is. So we've got to look at how can we uh, create or curate spaces that can be for that in a hybrid way. So sometimes things can work remotely through video calls. Sometimes you need to get together for stuff um, and finding that right balance. And agencies, instead of perhaps having an office where they've got a studio type space that's just big open plan, everybody, you know, finds a desk and that's it. I wonder if we're going to need to see sort of more agency hubs where the agency has a space, but it has various private offices, various rooms for doing Zoom calls and, you know, one room for perhaps doing workshops or something like that. It's the spaces that agencies have are going to change. And I think mm. seeing the innovation in that is going to be very interesting as people create these new hybrid versions of agencies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think also one of the antidotes to um, the trust issue 
is something we've talked about quite a lot in Convivio, especially in, in the earlier phase of Convivio's life when we were working as agencies. We use the phrase working out loud. Um, now, we were doing lots of digital digital stuff, so it's easy for digital tools to report into our um, chat tools and so on. But there's also, you know, simple ways of simply of saying, I'm working on this at the moment, and this is how my day is going to pan out. And as each as you knock each thing down in your to, you know verbal to do or um, your um, to do list you you've put out there to say I finished this and here's a here's something which you know you might want to look at or you know mm-hmm. whatever so that that's a really helpful way of uh, overcoming the questions of trust. Yeah, fantastic. That's a very good tip. Now, if you'd like to get more tips and ideas and inspiration like that and like you've heard on this podcast, you can go to our website. It's convivio.com, C-O-N-V-I-V-I-O.com. And at the website, you can find out what we do and how we support agency owners in developing those leadership structures in their organisation and really focusing the agency on creating uh, that sustainable approach to running the business and being able to work on the business rather than just in it. If you want to find out how we do all of that and the courses and workshops and various services we do, convivio.com is the place to do that. It's also the place to sign up for our newsletter. Uh, We write regular newsletters with little bite-sized bits of inspiration, ideas, thoughts that are just perfectly tuned for agency leaders. So subscribe at convivio.com and that can be in your inbox to start each Monday morning. But that wraps us up for this edition of the podcast. On the next episode, we'll be hearing from an agency leader that's built up a an agency doing behavioural science. And we'll be talking not just about her agency story, but what she's learned about how behavioural science can inform our approach to leadership. So it's going to be a fascinating podcast. So join us on the next episode. But until then, thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>